0: Hey everybody, George. Here again with another episode of the in Good Spirits podcast with my friend here, chris
1: hey George, how you doing tonight?
0: Oh, doing all right, doing all right. really excited to get into some Japanese whiskies today.
1: Oh, very exciting yeah we haven't we haven't dove into anything other than well you now this is our first venture outside of europe and the uh, and America, so. Off to something different, but something with a lot of tradition and a lot of respect for quality, that's for sure. That is
0: absolutely true. So, we're actually going to work in like a reverse order of... Um, of course, I forget to turn off notifications on my phone, so sorry <laughs> to everyone that's hearing any potential buzzing one See, moment. yeah, I
1: mean, I left my phone in the other room like a professional...
0: I'm sorry okay
1: <laughs> I'm sorry I learned it from you
0: <laughs> but anyway uh, the two whiskies we're gonna do today one is ohishi's 10 year brandy cask okay and the other is Nika's uh, Yoichi single malt and based on like history of Japanese whiskey it would make more sense for us to do the Nika first because uh, we talked about... I think I mentioned him in one of the past episodes, Masataka Takatsuru mm. being the basically the grandfather of the Japanese whiskey. That's one of the distilleries that he founded and the company he founded. But that has a little bit of peat, and the Ohishi has none, and is actually a totally different style of whiskey. But as we move towards drinking this Ohishi, um, we're doing something a little different today. In the sense that I have not actually had this expression of aheishi before, uh, the extent of my experience with it is the little, the cheat of a sniff I took before we started recording.
1: Well, it's hard not to when when you pour it into your when you pour into your glass. Oh, I love that! I love the simplicity of that uh, of that label as well.
0: Oh, it's a beautiful, simple, good looking label. And honestly, Ooh. the box that came in is a little more expressive it's a blight 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 bright blue <laughs> <laughs> oh this is full yeah, of mean,
1: wind. yeah with with the world outside of us right now i can see why you'd use the word blight but <laughs> um, <laughs> well, speaking of bright i mean man this this has a very bright nose on it almost like cinnamon candy you know it's got some real brightness to it
0: it absolutely does, and what's really different about the sohishi from most whiskey in general is it is one hundred percent made from rice.
1: Oh, see that would that would make sense because it definitely doesn't smell like anything else we've tasted so far.
0: No, um, definitely not.
1: Yeah, that's interesting because now I'm hunting for rice, but it's not. That's not what I'm smelling. I'm definitely smelling that. Some of that. It's very clean smelling. Um. So,
0: something from the label that I feel like needs to be explained, because even though I've not had this expression of ohishi, I'm familiar with some of their other ones. On the back, it says, Ohishi whiskey is distilled from malted and unmalted rice fermented with the groundwater of the Kuma Riverbed in Hitoyoshi, Japan. Hmm. So, real important to note here is milled rice cannot be malted, the rice has not been malted it's probably a mistranslation or something there but the actuality of it is the rice that they're referring to as being malted if you will is actually rice that is infected with koji which is the happy fun fungus used in sake production
1: oh well that see i love that i mean i'm a fan of koji fermented things from miso to you know soy sauce it's makes for such amazing flavor and depending on what you're fermenting, you can get super savory. Or in the in the context of sake, you can get these beautiful florals and everything else as well. There's different strains for different applications.
0: Oh, absolutely. And this is, I'm going to assume, the strain used for sake production.
1: Yeah, I would imagine because this you get you're getting those that brightness, a little bit of that floral. It's the is really. I mean, I'm going to use the term intoxicating, but it's. You really want to keep on going back and smelling it. It's it's fantastic smelling.
0: And it's actually, so in other expressions of Ohishi that I've had, like their, their baseline, no age statement, no uh, denoted cask finishes or anything. It's kind of like concentrated, like everything good about sake. Mm. This, I get a lot of the brandy notes. A ton of them. Okay.
1: Yeah, I could see that. I think we're going to need to do more specific brandy things for me to get a better feel for it. I think we might have to invite Chris Carlson on for that one, so he can taste some good stuff.
0: Um, uh, as long as we can do a three-hour episode, I think so, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> 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 no, I, I, in all seriousness, though, I think it'd actually be a lot of fun to do that with him and do like an armagnac and like a some other kind of brandy, maybe not cognac, but. Oh, well, with him, it's got to be cognac, too, but I yeah. I like Armagnac. And maybe yeah, like absolutely. some apple brandies and Calvados and stuff like that. But anyway, uh, enough about potential future things to do here. We are drinking a 100% <laughs> yes, rice-based whiskey right now. Wow.
1: That is delicate. Delicate, but it still has got... Some really developed flavors. It's so... It dances on the palate. You're getting that richness of the age, but it doesn't feel old at all. Ooh, that finish. That finish is super rich, too. Ooh. I'm
0: actually having trouble putting my notes to words right now. Like, it's... It's somehow completely new and different of an experience, but incredibly familiar all at the same time. Hmm. Like Going back to the nose, it's like like dried plum and cinnamon and custardy vanilla.
1: Yeah, I think that cinnamon kind of comes through the whole palate too. But it doesn't taste artificial. It's that bright, fresh, you know, that fresh cinnamon, like grated cinnamon. Really, really pleasant. You're definitely getting that vanilla, but again, it's like good vanilla. It's developed vanilla. This isn't artificial vanilla extract. This is more that rich vanilla,
0: right? Like a vanilla bean, like an actual custard made with vanilla beans in it. Like very custardy, very like very real, very natural.
1: Yeah, it's not dense though. I think that's that's the part I'm loving about this so much. Is you're getting these rich flavors. You know, it's so it's delicate on the nose you're getting rich flavors but it bounces on the palate it's fascinating
0: i'm kind of stuck on the nose now like even though i tasted it i'm going i'm stuck on the nose again because there's so much there that i'm trying to uh, i'm trying to put to words there's like there's an aroma that's identifiable i'm just not i'm not connecting the dots
1: there well Yeah, and I think it's, yeah, I know, I think I know what you're talking about. It's not, it's not a mustiness, but there's, there's something else there. It's, oh, it's, it's almost, it's weird now that we've talked about it being rice, but this is the first time it's coming through, like a rice pudding.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that definitely ties into like the custardiness, that like pudding-y
1: thing. But I'm, I think I'm getting the rice more now that i'm sitting with it and i'm aerating you know making sure to breathe in and out i mean this there's a lot of layers on this it's kind of yeah, like it kind of reminds reminds me of uh, our local greek restaurants uh, rice pudding in some ways but obviously a lot more delicate
0: and it's got like a deep wood note like um very very mm. clearly french oak at whatever brandy they're using is without a doubt French oak. And we're going to check their tax sheet. Because I actually have not read that yet. I, I only cheated with a sniff.
1: Um, no, I, I see I, I see what you mean now. I'm definitely getting that wood now that I'm focusing on it at the, at the finish.
0: Yeah, that deep French oak. Like the stuff, like yeah. classic, rich, intense vanilla. But that natural vanilla. Like the spice. Baking spices and just... They definitely use... Some sort of French oak. The brandy they're using was, without a doubt, at least partially French origin or French oaked.
1: Yeah, and now, now that you mentioned, I am getting a little more on the nose as well. I might have a suggestive palate. I don't know. But now that I'm focusing on it, I can I can hit it on the nose a little bit. But, I mean, working through this one is... This is the kind of whiskey you can really love because it takes time to really work at it.
0: Yeah, in in retrospect, this may not have been the best whiskey for me to try the first time um, <laughs> while being recorded because I don't wanna I don't wanna do anything but think about it. I just want to sit here and overanalyze it silently, oh, yeah. and that's the opposite of what we want to be doing right now.
1: Right, but what we can say for sure is, I mean, this is this is fantastic. It really this is top notch stuff, and one that can suit a lot of different occasions because it's. I think it's an I think it's a immense success when it comes to balance and craftsmanship. But this is a common refrain I've had when I've tasted all manner of Japanese whiskeys. But that's that's pretty fantastic.
0: Are you getting any like dried mango or like dried papaya on the palate? Like some sort of dried tropical, like orange-colored fruit.
1: See, I like that papaya note because I think it's that that little bit of that little bit of dank fruitiness I think really captures one of the things I was getting at. Because um, it's, we were talking about custard, but it doesn't have that density. You know, it's got some, some richness, but it's not dense. But that that dark juiciness almost. But again, it's, it's so balanced with it's not acidity, but it's that brightness that comes along with it. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's that's top-notch stuff. And it's
0: really warm in a very pleasant way. And the alcohol is only 42.2%.
1: So and it's was not gonna overly say, high. I was going to say, I, my, my first thought was 80, but because it's so easy. But this is one of the rare occasions where I think it really suits it. Not to say it wouldn't have its own enjoyment if you raised it, but... I think everything that we're talking through, I don't think it needs more, which I wouldn't usually say.
0: Yeah, it's kinda it's right where it needs to be.
1: Yeah. Alright, we're we're gonna move on because this this you're right, this one we could go on for yeah, a full no, half an hour just talking about that.
0: This is too damn good. So, so this yeah, go ahead. But over, real quick overall impression at um I'm trying to remember how much it is
1: i mean the short answer is yes i don't i'm not (laughs) sure i care
0: (laughs) i think it's around the 65 to 70 dollars mark for this it's not anything to be honest
1: yeah the only reason why i wouldn't say it's just a dead steal is because of the you know being 84 proof but even then i mean at that price point i i think it's truly fantastic i'm I think it's a truly unique expression and one that you really should look for. I that's it's top notch. Yeah, this is this I is love.
0: everything you want in a whiskey. Yeah. It's got just everything. I'm Yeah. I'm kinda literally without words on that. Real quick before we th- move on though, I wanna double check yes. I wanna I wanna see if it was French origin oh, brandy please. or anything. But you what, can want to go wanted- ahead while I'm looking that up.
1: Yeah, so as I think this is an interesting thing because the in the prior episodes, George had tasted most of these before, if not all of them. And I think this is, I love this part of it, to see somebody really, truly love something and almost get, it's not flummoxed, but you get, it's just this deepness that you want to dive into something when it's awesome. And it, it's one of the exciting parts about tasting something like this. Um, and I can't help myself, but I'm looking, I'm starting to smell the second one. And the nice thing about it is this distillery, this is one of the first, um, the Nika distillery is one of the first ones I've had that I've had a number of different products from their line before. Uh, I have a bottle of their gin sitting on my shelf here. I've had that gin is incredible too. Oh, it's so good. You find what you're looking for?
0: Yeah, I'm just quickly skimming through all the information. But uh, real quick information, their master distiller uses 30% estate-grown rice, and then 70% of the rice comes from surrounding Kumamoto
1: Prefecture. Mm.
0: Now, moment of truth.
1: Let's see if George knows what he's talking about.
0: The brandy cask expression of ohishi is a blend of oak's ex-cognac barrels between three and 25 years of age. So yeah, that's literally saying only cognac. So I was very right about French origin and French oak.
1: Absolutely.
0: Here are their tasting notes, by the way. Oh, interesting. Let's see. Delicate yet angular, with notes of citrus, black peppercorn, and vanilla. I don't get the black peppercorn, but I definitely see what they say by citrus, and obviously we... Mentioned vanilla quite a few
1: times. Yeah. One, I think that that angular... It, it, that's. I think that's a good description of it, but I like things that are a bit sharp. Yeah. Um, but yeah, p- pivoting over to our Nika here. Um, I've had the Nika coffee still before, and I think I've had one of the other whiskey expressions as well. But I don't think I've had this one before. So, there so are... this one is... Yeah, this is the Yoichi single malt.
0: Yes. So Nika has... Uh, that I'm aware of off the top of my head, and I'm not forgetting, two distilleries. One is the Yoichi, which was okay. the first distillery that uh, Masataka Taketsuru opened under the Nika Whiskey Company, uh, that he founded the company too, obviously. And Yoichi is one of the distilleries, the other is Miyagi-kyo. And okay. real quick backstory for those of you who didn't don't know or didn't hear me talk about it before in another episode... Masataka Takatsuru is the, in many regards, the grandfather of Japanese whiskey. In the early nineteen teens, the night the pre nineteen twenties, whatever, whatever that oh, wow. decade is really uh, referred to as the nineteen teens. Uh, he apprenticed at the Hazelburn Distillery in Scotland, which is modern times the Springbank Distillery, which also does Hazelburn and etc. There, but. It's actually really interesting, and we're probably going to do this in the future because uh, he learned he apprenticed there. He learned pretty much nearly everything he knows from that distillery. He apprenticed at other distilleries too, but that's that's the big one. And he came back to Japan and helped the Centauri, found their Yamazaki distillery, which is okay. kind of like the flagship Japanese whiskey. But because of his time at Springbank. I actually see a lot of similarities between Yoichi and Springbank. So I'd love to in the future sit down with like a a Springbank tenure or like a a more everyday Springbank and compare it to the Yoichi because they're very different whiskeys, but you can see that there's very clearly some lineage there and stylistic similarities.
1: Yeah, and I think that's it's an interesting point because a lot of Japanese whiskey heritage flows through scotland but i think something like this you know like the oishi was is so distinctly like modern japanese whiskey versus something like this which probably has more roots towards like you said more roots towards the scottish uh you know that passionate scottish whiskey um heritage coming through because that's you know there's a lot of that there and a lot of that um what of that respect for the process goes through the, through that as well.
0: Yes, and that process is actually on this whiskey going complete 180 from the Ohishi. It's very classic Scottish-style single malt using some of the barley is peated. It's a very light level of peat in this. If memory serves, the way they do it is they have runs of whiskey that are peated, runs of whiskey that are unpeated, and they blend everything to taste. Which I I like the way of doing that.
1: Yeah, and this this definitely smells balanced when it comes to the peat versus, you know, some of the more intensely peated ones. You can smell that it's there, you can smell the smoke both from the malt and from the um you know, and that's you know, those those high medicinal notes, but I mean this is But you're getting that richness, that that appley note on the nose. I mean, it smells really pleasant.
0: Oh, definitely like baked green apple, a little mm-hmm. bit of like whiffs of smoke, again, a little bit of vanilla. Ooh.
1: Wow.
0: It's almost got like a, a tea-like aspect to the nose, too, like a black tea.
1: Well, and I, not to not to just jump straight into the taste, but I think that echoes really cleanly. Man, this like when you're talking about audio, when you're talking about there's you know bass, there's treble. This is just so big in the mids. You know, it just it enveloped my entire palate. It just was loud in the mids, and then it finishes. With that really pleasant, you know, multi peaty finish, it lingers, but that first flush over the palette was so big, but not in a, like, it didn't, like, punch you in the face, but it's, it just enveloped the palate. It's fantastic. Yeah. Wow.
0: And again, though, like, ooh, From the nose, again, the palate, more that like baked green, green apple, way more smoky on the palate, but very integrated smoke. It's very, it intermingles nicely with all the fruit and all the other sweeter notes of it. And it's very like Sharpie marker meets campfire smoke
1: yeah but again, it's in that really exquisite balance and the sharpie definitely that sharpie note comes through. but I think it's the it's that slight tea astringency in a really pleasant way, but like a quality tea.
0: yeah like really really good get, like black tea.
1: Yeah you know I'm thinking like almost like a darjeeling you know something's got that presence but something it's very very pleasant. interesting now on the on the third sip i'm getting a little bit more sweetness
0: definitely like butterscotchy
1: yeah butterscotchy almost yeah i'm getting a little bit of that like powdered sugar high the high sugar note on my palate yeah like a powdered donut yeah just that it's just, like, right on the tip of my tongue sweetness. Yeah, like powdered donut, um,
0: butterscotch, and really overripe baked apple.
1: Yeah, I'm getting the butterscotch a lot now. But it's really integrated with that smoke as well. It's... <sighs> mm. <laughs> I think it's something as I've... So, I'm, I'm a severe food nerd. I've been doing... I did restaurant reviews uh, in one of our local newspapers, my own food and drink podcast, uh, Food About Town. And, you know, I'm passionate for people that are passionate about food. And, you know, every time I watch a food travel show and they travel to Japan for one reason or another, you always see this dedication to expertise when it comes to food. It's the people that do one thing for their careers, whether it's, um, you know uh dreams of sushi but in modern times like they've taken neapolitan pizza and making and made a career out of it that was a great documentary
0: by the way Jiro dreams of sushi that that, oh
1: just just amazing
0: it was mind-blowing i i never knew i could be so blown away by sushi documentary i love sushi and i didn't think i'd like that documentary that much
1: yeah it's it's fantastic and that but i think it's part of the culture is this true respect for making something as good as it possibly can be. Uh, even people coming from outside, Uh a gentleman, Ivan Orkin, he's a uh, got uh, ramen places in New York, and he had moved to Japan, and he opened his own ramen place, but he did it in the Japanese style with that respect for the process and understanding that expertise means something in a career of making something is absolutely, you know, that kaizen, that endless improvement.
0: And tying that back into whiskey real quick. This is not the whiskey in question with the story I'm about to tell, but a friend of mine is a distiller. He's a bourbon guy, loves bourbon, bourbon number one, bourbon, bourbon, bourbon. He doesn't like anything better than bourbon. He got in the business to make bourbon. Now, his aunt brought him back a little bottle from Japan, of a Japanese bottling of Yamazaki, no age statement, no frills, just it's not. I don't even think I've seen a international market or U.S. market, uh, no age statement Yamazaki before. I've only seen this Japanese market one. And I was over at his apartment one night, and working through a whole bunch of different whiskey, and it's <laughs> like, "You know, what? I'm like, you got to try this Yamazaki." So we open it up, he pours us both a glass, and I'm going to reenact everything so people watching can see, but I'll describe as well. He took a sip, or a sniff, took a sip, stopped, looked, held the glass in front of his face and stared at it, turned his head to the side a little, kind of like a dog (laughs) really overthinking something and saying, huh. Now, and he says, now, I still love bourbon, but this whiskey tastes like it's a whiskey that went to school to learn how to taste like whiskey. And he said, (laughs) and he said, it's the most precise whiskey he's ever had. And it was just so everything's so precise and clean and perfect. And that work ethic really does show through so well in things especially like in whiskey because it's so precise it's so clean and true it's it's like it's true like like uh like like with a sword when it's like perfectly straight it's it's you know it's true you know it's perfect
1: yeah yeah and I, i think that's that's a great point for both these because the expressions are so different from one another you know the oishi was that delicate balanced angular Uh, flavor uh, with all these corresponding interesting richnesses and then this nika single malt provides us that you know a lot of those classic flavors those classic scotch flavors but very clean very articulate this is a this is almost quintessential scotch made in japan in just in a really clean awesome way but both I think are very distinct and that's something you can say they were made with this particular vision and made distinctly and precisely that.
0: Yeah. Without any doubt, for sure.
1: Mm. Like this. So for, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say for this, for this Nika, what does this one chime in at?
0: So the problem with a lot of Japanese whiskey right now is the availability is scarce yeah. and pricing fluctuates heavily because of scarcity. So I don't sure. know what it would currently sit on a shelf at right now, but when I picked up the bottle a couple year years, or so ago, maybe, I don't remember exactly. Uh, it was in the mid fifties, low sixties. I yeah. don't know what it is anymore.
1: Yeah. It's, it's hard to tell. And this, this is one of the after effects from the, booming popularity of Japanese whiskey over the last few years is now it's like you said it's becoming more scarce because there's only so much of it out there and now it's getting a little bit of a secondary market so places are it up more so don't be shocked to see it on the shelf for you know 50 percent more than what he said or you don't know or you might not see it at all
0: well this the scary thing is it's not even just secondary market pricing it's Vastly increasing wholesale prices too Yeah Like I, I remember yeah. the first bottle of Yamazaki 12 year I bought was Like $60-$70 And now it's at a fair <laughs> A fair retail market a Price is 110 to 115 And yeah. that's With the same profit margin as when it was $60-$70 it's, it's ridiculous but uh, I was talking to somebody From uh I'm not sure how much I'm supposed to say, but I was talking (laughs) with a representative of a company that in their portfolio has big Japanese whiskeys. And in that portfolio are also some American products. And we were talking about other American products from other companies and their faked, um, scarcity where they're driving prices, using allocations and pretty much, uh, Throttling supply to increase demand, and this was a cup this was maybe three or four years ago at this point, but it was right after Japanese whiskey really hit that wall of oh shit, we don't have enough and yeah. i I asked him, I'm like, well, what about with all these Japanese whiskies? is that is it being throttled? Is there really a shortage is it or is it like these products where they're intentionally throttling and we went from laughing and joking about these other companies to him being very, very serious. Color leaves his face and is like, no, we, we really don't have any. And he explained to me that, uh, for those of you who don't know, Chris and I live in Rochester, New York. We're in upstate New York. We're we're like in a, a six, seven, eight hour drive, depending on which way you go from New York City. And I was told by this person from this company that if it weren't for New York City... We wouldn't even have any in New York state where we are because it's so basically what happened was uh, in the eighties, Japanese whiskey in Japan started falling to the wayside. People started consuming more shochu, uh, sake, things like that. So distilleries slowed down production and invested in making sake and shochu. And then Fast forward to relatively recently, it was a kind of like, well, screw it. Why don't we send a pallet or a shipping container rather of whiskey to the U.S. Worst case scenario, we we sold them a shipping container worth of whiskey, and we don't do it again. And it blew up in a way no one ever imagined it really could.
1: Well, and I think the I think your point though is when you look back towards the 80s. I mean, whiskey whiskey died here in America too. This it wasn't a uniquely Japanese thing. Uh, there's a reason that, you know, as we move forward, there was and still is, especially with some of the, you know, tighter allocated stuff, actually tighter allocated stuff, that there was a boom, but you can only make old whiskey so fast. It takes a long time. and There was not the demand when people were making it 25, 30 years ago.
0: And actually a funny, funny little uh often forgotten truth about older whiskey in america is that a decrease in demand actually caused the older whiskey to become a thing because you didn't have to pay tax on it till you took it out of the barrel so they left it in barrel to avoid taxing or getting taxed on it rather uh, because nobody was buying it so then by accident old whiskey became popular and it's actually interesting. A few years ago, even Buffalo uh, Representative of Buffalo Trace even said, "We're not intending on making really old whiskey anymore. That like, where well, that's that's behind us, because it's not it's not really, it's never it was never the intent, is what I'm trying to say there."
1: Yeah, and it's it's crazy expensive to make really old whiskey. Oh, it is especially absolutely, when, especially when the demand is so high for the mid age stuff. So what's the, you're trying to make a 20. I mean, making a 20 is, it's cost prohibitive at this point when the demand for the 10s is so high. So very true.
0: Plus when you can sell someone a eight-year-old whiskey without telling them it's eight years old and they, you know, or a five to eight-year-old bourbon and not telling them that and people love it, why, why would you waste your time and money making something, you know, 20 years old when you can sell a hell of a lot more of something at five to eight years old that people love just as much and can drink more often. But anyway, back to Japanese whiskey, uh, finishing up that story. There's a shortage. There's a real true shortage and they cut back a lot of the age statement things for non-age statement things. And you're seeing a big resurgence of gin, much. It's kind of like craft distilling in America in reverse. They had the whiskey and now they don't have the whiskey. So they need gin to make money to make whiskey. Where in America, it's like, we want to make whiskey. We have no money to make whiskey. Here's gin. But uh, by 2030, Japanese age statement whiskey, there will be enough um, enough stock to meet demand at that point. But and, you know, we got a little time to go still before that comes a yeah. thing.
1: So I do have to say I'm really glad we had the the Oishi first. Um, I just went back and tasted it. And it's hard. You You can't compare them next to each other after tasting the nika first it's it was easily the right decision i love both um i think i prefer the oishi over it but it's one you really want to drink on its own and not try to compare it too much against something else next to it because it is delicate and because i'm getting much different i'm getting a little more of that sake note now tasting it against something else absolutely i think it's fantastic so yeah, let's we we had our Oishi ten year brandy cask. We had our Nika uh, Yoishi, Yoichi, 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 single malt. Yep, Yoichi single malt. I think both, avail themselves very well as Japanese whiskey, and I'm sure we've got more Japanese whiskey to come, because I know you're passionate about it. I know I am.
0: Yeah, we're definitely gonna have. Uh, I don't know if it'd be the next episode or being in future from I have ideas for at least two or three more Japanese spirits uh, episodes. Beautiful. We might stagger them out though so nobody gets too fatigued there but they are <laughs> they are in the pipeline, yeah.
1: Sounds great. So, I think this is going to wrap up this episode of In Good Spirits. George, where can they find you on the internet?
0: Find me on Instagram at Whiskey Jedi with the E in there because this is America, damn it. I'm kidding. Sort of <laughs> sort of. <laughs>
1: And uh, you can find me at Stromy on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, You can also find me on the Food About Town podcast that I record here in my studio, where I talk to people in Rochester about food and drink. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the uh, reopening in the time of the coronavirus coming up soon. So uh, stay tuned for some of that from me. And come back next time for another episode of In Good Spirits. Good night, sir.
0: Good night. Cheers. Uh, And in the spirit of Japanese
1: whiskey, sayonara. Okay, so we said the episode was over, we did our outro, but then we retasted the Ohishi we were talking about, and we just got so much more that we had to come back just for a couple minutes and talk about it, because like I was kind of mentioning in the episode, we tasted it on its own, then we tasted the Nika, and then going back to it, my first taste, it almost felt like there wasn't enough there. And then my palate reacclimated to it and I'm getting so many different notes. And yeah, and yeah after, go ahead.
0: And after having it sit for probably between the length of recording and how much we talked before and we pre poured them, had to be yeah. about forty five minutes. It's yeah, changed sure. so much. Like it's it's changed so much in such a positive way that we were literally about to sit we were both about to say goodbye to each other to go spend time with our wives. <laughs> and we <laughs> and we're like holy shit, this whiskey is so ridiculous. We need to spend another few minutes on it because yeah, it's like the the stuff we were talking about without you know between recording, uh, it's like raisins and flowers and honey and more of the spice. It's just so concentrated.
1: Yeah, it's almost it almost the weird thing. It almost feels like it it lost brightness. But not in a way. I feel bad about it all. I'm getting that. The first time we went through it, I didn't get the brandy as cleanly. I'm getting those raisins. I'm getting that, some of those oxidative notes, but I was getting lilac on the nose sitting with it again. <laughs> and the more we talk about it, that we got so many fascinating and awesome things the first time around. And now that it's sat and our palates have reacclimated and it's opened up. We're getting such different things. I mean, yeah, and it's not even this is a steel and a half.
0: It's other purple flowers like violets. It's like very purple flower, and yeah, like the palette is it's more intense but softer on the edges. If that makes sense, like it's more concentrated in flavor, but a lot less angular, a lot less like astringency. It's very. Mm. it's it reminds me of like there's a i can't remember the type of wine it is but it's a dessert wine from portugal it's fortified it's kind of similar to like a sherry but it's not quite it's very raisinated, very dense very concentrated in flavor and it reminds me this reminds me of that a lot
1: Mm. yeah i mean I gotta say, it's. I'm really glad we came back to talk about it for a couple minutes because, i both of us. I think we're gonna sit with this for a while for the rest of the evening. I'm gonna empty the rest of my sample and work through this. But um, this is one you want to spend time with. Spend time with it. Don't just don't just hit it quick and enjoy the first round. This is one you want to spend time with. Have a decent pour and really luxuriate. Yeah,
0: for sure. And the depth I'm, of flavors. I'm pour, I'm topping off my glass right now for when we uh, wrap things up for real, because I kind of want to go sit on the couch. And while I want to spend time with my wife, I also want to spend time with this whiskey.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, uh, this actually closes out this episode of In Good Spirits. So, George, get out of here. I'm going to get out of here. We'll see everybody next time.
0: Kanpai!